The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving week. Yes. I can almost taste the turkey. Can't you taste it already? I can taste it. The banana pudding. Some of you guys, the vegan whatever you eat vegan. I can just taste it already. As for me and my house, we shall eat turkey, though. Well, I'm excited. It's Thanksgiving week. Amen. And the church said amen. No shame towards the vegans in the house. We love you, too. All right. Hey, well, welcome to Story City. We're glad you're here this morning. We're going to finish out a series today. We started four weeks ago called Basic Training. If you happen to bring a Bible, go ahead and open up Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is our text this morning, and uh, we're going to finish out this series. So if you are new, let me just help you understand what happens here on a Sunday morning. We sing, we give, we, we, uh, we interact, we, we love each other, encourage each other, and then we open up the scriptures together every single Sunday morning. And we prefer, we like to take a Bible and open it up and preach through a book of the Bible. And that's what we've been doing since September. And so last week, we came to a text, we came to a passage that Jesus was teaching us, and it was a difficult passage. And uh, Jesus was talking about how to love your enemies. And today, it's an even more difficult passage. And so if you walked into Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving Sunday, this isn't about Thanksgiving. This is a little more difficult. But I just want you to understand, if you're like, why did they preach about this? It's because it was the next passage. That's why. We just didn't pull it out of the air. This is what we're doing. This is what we try to do. And so the series we've been in called Basic Training, in essence, Jesus has called people to himself. He's called disciples and apostles to himself. And now he's preparing them. And he's training them for the days ahead, the ministry ahead. They're going to announce and authenticate the message of the kingdom of God, that God has come near, and he offers salvation to everyone. And as he's preparing them, he's teaching them some basic things they need to know about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, the passage that we've been in here in Luke chapter 6, it's a mini version of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been around church, you probably understand that. In the book of Matthew, we have multiple chapters. Here, we just have a few verses. And so today we're going to conclude our series called Basic Training, and we're going to focus in on Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. And Jesus is going to talk through this passage that our culture knows very well. And he's going to start this passage with the famous words, do not judge. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. This is what the scripture says. Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Jesus says, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, if you took a poll of your neighbors and went house to house, and you said, hey, can you quote three Bible verses for me? I would imagine your neighbors would probably quote this verse. One of those three verses would probably be, do not judge. I believe this verse sticks with our culture really, really well, because I believe it aligns with a couple very common beliefs in our culture. One of those beliefs is that religion is private. The second belief is that, uh, is that morality is relative. In other words, that means in what culture is Really believes is that you just you can't really tell anyone what they believe is wrong. You can only affirm that what they believe is their preference. Sort of like I like Waffle House, you like Tinder Greens. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can't tell anybody what they believe is wrong. You just tell them and affirm to them, well, that's just your presence. But let me just ask us up front this morning, but is that what Jesus is teaching here? 
Is that what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6? Well, can I just say right up front, Jesus cannot mean this morning that you can never tell someone they are wrong. Why, Pastor Matt? Because Jesus spent much of his ministry doing that. He cannot mean here that you can never tell someone that they're wrong. I noticed that you got really quiet already. I told you this is a difficult passage this morning, but just bear with me in doing it. Jesus spent a lot of his ministry telling people, well, that's not right. That is actually wrong. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, Jesus said. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only only a few find it. That doesn't really come across as, hey, you know what? Do whatever you want. I mean, really, who am I to judge, right? And if we continue to read on and see in the rest of the Bible, I believe that many of us, even Christians, would be surprised about what the Bible actually has to say about making judgments. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16 tells us how to tell if someone is a true or a false teacher. Obviously, in order to do so, it involves having to make a judgment. In other words, Matthew 7 and 15 and 16 says it's not unchristian to tell someone they're a false teacher or proclaim they're a false teacher if they really are. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 that we should expose and condemn certain actions as being sinful. Paul also says in Romans 16, 17, that we should not associate with those members of the church who cause division and disruption within the church. You can only do that if you make a judgment. The Bible goes on to say in Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist, he's, he's heralding the coming of Jesus. Do so you understand what happened to John the Baptist? He got his head chopped off. Why did he get his head chopped off? Because he called out Herod for his sexual sin. Later in Luke chapter 12, verse 57, Jesus praises those who listened to him for his ability to judge others correctly. John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus actually commands us to judge others, not according to appearance, appearance, but with a righteous judgment. And then we get over to Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus has this outline, these steps that a church should take in order to make right judgments on those within the church. So when Jesus says, judge not... It can't mean that you don't ever tell someone they are wrong. Now, that may surprise some of you this morning. And if you're new to church and church is not familiar to you, I just want you to hang on just for a moment. Don't leave. Don't walk away because I believe we're going to be encouraged before we leave this morning. But it may surprise you, but Scripture gives us instructions about this heavy responsibility of, of making judgments. We make judgments between truth and error. We make judgments about what is right and wrong. We carry out a judging and a restoration process within the church when a Christian falls into sin. Scripture is clear. Making judgments is unavoidable. There's an entire book of the Bible devoted to human judges. Now, this is possibly the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Have I got your attention yet? This is probably the most quoted verse in the entire Bible by our culture. I, just, I sometimes find it fascinating that culture will quote Bible verses that it seems to agree with what they believe, but then leave out the other verses that doesn't agree with the things we don't believe. So let me just say, first of all, as we dive into this passage, first of all, stop listening to culture, quote the Bible, okay? Secondly, 
Let's see what's actually going on in this passage. It seems like Jesus is saying here, do not judge. But the rest of the Bible has these, 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 uh, these parameters for making judgments. So how do we make sense of all of what Jesus is teaching us here? We can't understand Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge, without understanding the verse that comes before it in Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Now listen, we all make judgments every day, all day long. The question for us as we diagnose this passage is, how do we make application of those judgments. How do we make application of those judgments that we make every single day? Well, let's start in verse 36, Luke chapter six. Therefore, Jesus says, be merciful, just as your father is also merciful. This verse explains how God judges. And since God is merciful, Jesus says we should be merciful as well. This is the first principle on how to make application of judgments that we make every single day. I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. This is the first principle for how to make application of our judgments every single day. The first principle is this. Be merciful. Show mercy. Show mercy. But what, Pastor Matt, is mercy? Well, we said it last week because we came to this verse and we stopped here. But mercy, in essence, is not giving someone what they deserve. In essence, mercy is not giving someone the punishment that they deserve. I think I've seen this most clearly here in the last few weeks. We had a family in our church who's Who's, who's had a situation in their own family. Their, their kids at school have been bullied and physically harmed at school. Physically harmed at school. Bullying was taken from emotional to actual physical harm. What that student did to the student in our body was wrong. By the way, that's a judgment. Do you understand that? What that student did to the student in our in our church body, that was wrong. It was wrong. And everybody in the situation made a judgment. The school administrators made a judgment. It was wrong. Police officers made a judgment. It was wrong. Teachers made a judgment. It was wrong. Classmates made a judgment. It was wrong. Parents made a judgment. It was wrong. Bullying and harming someone physically and another student is wrong. That's a judgment. But listen, listen to what happened after the judgment was made. The parents who were in our body decided that they, were not, that they would not press charges against a student who physically harmed their own student. Honestly, as I diagnosed, I listened to the story, I, I, I was having a difficult time in my own heart, and I just thought if it was me and my own kids, I don't think I could not press charges because I would be so angry and so upset. But the parents involved in this situation decided not to press charges. They chose not to give the punishment that student deserved. That church is called mercy. God shows us mercy. He, he, he lays his mercy on us, and he tells us he wants us to show mercy to others. But listen to this. Mercy implies judgment. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
There cannot be mercy unless there's been a judgment that's been made. You can make judgments and not show mercy, but you cannot show mercy unless you have first made a judgment. The showing of mercy implies a judgment. Don't you see? So in other words, that cannot be what Jesus is saying here. You cannot show mercy unless you have first made a judgment. That's what Luke 6, 36 is teaching us here. When you judge, show mercy. But Pastor Matt, that example is easy. That, that example is pretty, pretty, pretty black and white. What about the more difficult issues, Pastor Matt? What about people's sexual ethics? What about people's sexual attraction and preference? What about people's lifestyle choices? What about how people spend their money? What about people's addictions? What about people's politics? What about when somebody becomes addicted to pornography, they cheat on their spouse, and they leave their kids? What about those, Pastor Matt? Well, can I give you a phrase this morning to help us begin to process those things? And the phrase goes something like this. But for the grace of God... So would I. But for the grace of God, so would I. You know, when we're unmerciful in our judging of others and their sins and their failures, Jesus is warning us here that we need to be careful that we haven't fallen into the same traps and the same failures and the same sins, or that we won't soon fall into those same failures. When we're unmerciful in our application of our judgments towards someone for being a bad parent, for, for having a bad marriage, we need to be careful, but for the grace of God, so would we. Jesus gives us a second principle. The first principle is to is to be merciful. He gives us a second principle in verse 38 of how to make application of your judgments. Read it with me. Verse 38 says, give. That's, that's critical and key here in this passage. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, Jesus says, it will be measured to you. Now, Pause for a moment. This is not a verse about money. <laughs> this is not a verse about supporting prosperity gospel. In other words, it's not a verse meaning if you give money to God, God's going to give you more money in return. Some of you love to watch TV preachers, and TV preachers love to quote this verse. If you give me money, I will give you money in return. That's why it's important to do good Bible study. This verse is not about money. It's in the context of making judgments. And so Jesus is saying here, the key word is give. He's talking about generosity. He's encouraging us to be generous, to be over-merciful, to be long-suffering, to be patient in our judging. In other words, the second principle here is to be generous in your judging. The second way to make application, be generous. Now, if we were honest, all of us know people who aren't generous in their application of the judgments they make every single day. I looked this week, and, and I, in, in my, my, my sermon research, I looked, and just this week, one particular, I, I'm familiar with these guys because they've even, they've even tweeted me. They've, 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 they've even called me out for what I don't even know, but they call everybody out. And this particular week, this so-called Christian journalist, listen to me, 
criticized and judged. Listen to what he did this week. Female Bible teachers, seminary presidents, denomination presidents, Christian colleges, Democrats, Republicans, Lisey's equal opportunity, campus crusade, theologians, dead theologians, TV hosts, all of these he criticized and judged in tweets and blog posts. Listen, just this week, (laughs) Jesus says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There's a warning here that we should be careful of being hypercritical, hyperjudgmental, condemning of everybody and everything. Consider the generosity just for a moment of how Jesus judged the world. Consider Jesus' generosity and how he judged the world. John chapter 3, verse 17. You know John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would ever perishes and whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But, but it's unfortunate that John 3, 17 doesn't get the same publicity. John 3, 17. This is, this is the generosity of how Jesus judged the world. John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, even though Jesus told some people, your works are evil, even though Jesus told some people, there is a narrow way to life, there is a narrow way to heaven, even though Jesus told some people, unless you enter that narrow way, you won't get to heaven, he still did not condemn the world. What do you mean? Well, not condemning does not mean not telling the truth. Do you understand this morning? Not condemning does not mean not telling the truth. Why? Because Jesus told the truth. Jesus told the truth, but it's what he did after he told the truth that's generous. It's what he did after he told the truth that's generous. After Jesus told the truth, what did Jesus do? Jesus brought us near. Jesus took those of us who the Bible calls sinners, and then what he did was he brought us near, and he made us friends. The verse preceding John 3, 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, that God would give his son to die for the world. Jesus told the truth, then Jesus laid his life down for us, and he made us his friends. Listen to me, church. If you're not willing to lay your life down for your friends, you're not ready to tell the truth. It's what you do after you tell someone the truth that determines whether or not you're condemning or whether or not you're judging them. So Jesus says, be merciful. And then he says, be generous. And then he's going to give us a third application of our judgments in verse 39. Verse 39 says, he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above a teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now listen to verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? You know this verse, don't you? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? Now, this is what Jesus says. You what? Hypocrites. You hypocrites. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your 
brother's eye. This is the third principle and how to make application of our judgments. And it's so straightforward. It really doesn't even need an explanation. The third application of how to make judgments is don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. It's so easy to see the speck in a brother or friend, neighbor's eyes and refuse to be able to see the log in our own eye. You know what Jesus says? He calls that hypocrisy. He calls that hypocrisy. You shouldn't criticize someone for the very things you're guilty of. It's hypocritical for a pastor to stand on a stage and say, would you tithe? Would you give to our church when I myself am not tithing? It's hypocritical for me to ask you to tithe if I'm not doing the same thing. It's hypocritical to be overly judgmental about how somebody is committed to, to take care of their body and to work out and their commitment to daily working out when the only workout I'm doing is my biceps when I'm eating Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm saying? It's hypocritical to judge someone's approach to evangelism when you yourself don't have an approach to evangelism. I can't help it, but I was at our holiday in the park, and I just had these, I had just felt these glaring eyes onto our, 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 uh, our thing that we were doing there, giving out donuts and free photos and, and, and all the things we, I just, I just felt the glaring eyes from people walking by. Look at that church. They're not even sharing the gospel while they're also not sharing the gospel. I apologize. That's hypocrisy, though. <laughs> Jesus is clear. Don't be a blatant hypocrite. Everybody makes judgments. It's impossible not to make a judgment. It's impossible not to make a judgment every single day. But before you make application of those judgments, Jesus is saying, make sure you're not being a hypocrite. Don't cast judgment on someone else's life when your life reeks of the same sin. The dead theologian John Owen said, the seed of every sin is in every heart. Sometimes we think, well, look at them. I would never, I would never, I would never. John Owen says the seed of every sin is also in your heart. So when I'm talking to somebody in error, when, when you're talking to somebody in sin, we should be painfully aware that I'm infected with the same potential for the same sin and the same stuff that they are. But now look, Jesus is going to turn the narrative here just a little bit, all right? And Jesus is going to drill down a little bit deeper. He's going to really get to the heart of this passage. And I want you to read with me in verse 43. The verse is on the screen. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now listen to the last, the last sentence here. For the, this is what Jesus says. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus, we had some guys working a jackhammer, building up, taking up the concrete at our Granada Hills campus. Jesus got a jackhammer now. He's drilling down into the heart of the matter here. He's confronting us for failing to wrestle with our own sinfulness. And so in the context of this passage here, in the entire passage, Jesus is issuing a warning to us. Take a look at your own self. Make note of the type of fruit that your life is producing. 
And then Jesus makes this principle. If you won't wrestle with your own sin, you're not ready to wrestle with someone else's. If you won't wrestle with your own sin, you're not ready to wrestle with somebody else's sin. The primary intent that Luke is driving to and Jesus is speaking, the primary intent is this self-examination. Listen, we get this. The primary intent is self-examination, not the examination of other people. And so Luke here, he's encouraging this introspection, not how we look at someone else. Now think of the context here. Think of the context of what's going on. If you, you missed the last eight weeks or so, you can catch up. But Jesus is drawing people to himself. He's about to commission them to go out. And two chapters, three chapters later, Luke chapter 9, he's going to send them out. But he's preparing them. He's preparing them to announce and to authenticate the kingdom of God, that God has come near. And now listen, this is going to require that these people, these men and women Jesus is teaching, is going to require that they love other people in the process who are hard to love. They're going to be hard to love because of the things they say. They're going to be hard to love because of the things they do. They're going to be hard to say because of their choices and their affections and their allegiances. And so Jesus is calling them to love other people. But listen to me. The same call to those disciples and apostles is the same application to us today. We cannot love other people unless we go through this process of honest self-evaluation and correction. Honest self-evaluation is a prerequisite for helping other people. Did you hear me? Honest self-evaluation is a prerequisite for helping other people. I don't mean the surface level. You know, I've got sin in my life, but let me tell you about somebody else. That's not what I'm talking about. I hear that all the time. Hey, I, I know I'm the worst, but let me tell you about those. That, that's not honest self-evaluation and correction. Honest self-evaluation is what we call repentance. It's acknowledging the truth, and then it's turning away from the false truth you're walking towards and walking towards the right truth. Jesus says honest evaluation of ourselves is a prerequisite for helping other people. Can I say to us very gently this morning, some of us honestly are not in a position to help someone else with their sin. Some of us honestly are not in a position to help other people with their choices and their attitudes because we honestly won't look at our own. So what does this all mean? What does it all mean? Well, it can't mean, it can't mean that we should refuse to really engage with someone who disagrees with us. That's what it can't mean. The culture will tell you we shouldn't engage with somebody who disagrees with us. In fact, the culture has set the narrative that if we disagree with someone, those people are what we talked about last week. Those people are enemies. That's a false. That's a false truth. It cannot mean that we should not engage with people who do not believe like us, who disagree with us. It also cannot mean that we can never make application of our judgments. We make judgments every single day. But there's a distinct caution and a distinct warning here by Jesus. Consistent, overtly, regularly judgmental people should be careful that they're not speaking from a dirty and an unclean heart. So before you go making application of your judgment in someone else's life this week, in other words, before you address them, before you speak to them, before you correct them, before you can use the word encourage them, before you exhort them, 
Jesus says you cannot do it purely if you've not honestly evaluated and corrected your own heart. And so Jesus is not telling his disciples here to stop pointing out sin. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying stop pointing out sin, but rather what Jesus is saying here is consider your own sin before you point out sin in someone else. And so after we've repented of and after we've considered our own sin, then our admonition, our encouragement, our, our, our words, our, our correction, our encouragement should be seasoned with love and grace and humility and mercy and generosity and not hypocrisy. So let me do this. Let me try to close because I know some of this is probably still confusing to you. So let me just try to be as practical as I possibly can, taking the context of everything we've read. And let me try to make this idea of making application of our judgments very practical. I'm going to give you six things, and we're going to close out. We're going to be done. We're going to sing a song, and we'll go home and enjoy our turkey, our vegan turkey, whatever it is you got. And I'm not judging you, by the way. First, don't make application of your judgment without prayer. Write these down, please. Somebody write these down because you're going to need them. First, don't make application of your judgment without prayer. If someone genuinely needs correction, do you know what needs to happen? There needs to be a supernatural effect on their life. If someone genuinely needs correction, there needs to be a supernatural effect if lasting change is ever going to happen. Listen to the words that Ian Bounds says. Ian Bounds writes incredibly beautiful words, quotable words on prayer. If you've never read Ian Bounds, pick up a copy of any book he's ever written. And Ian Bounds once wrote this, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. Prayer should be our primary application of judgment. People don't just need arguments. They need sanctification, and only God can do that. Secondly, be sensitive to what people can handle. Be sensitive to what people can handle. Do you know Jesus said in John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Some people just are not ready to hear certain things. We deal with this quite frequently when there's an issue that comes up and we're like, you know what, we need to address the issue, but I don't think they're ready to hear what we need to say in this moment. We need to be sensitive to what people can handle. Sometimes it's going to require us to live for another day. Sometimes it's going to require us to be patient and long-suffering and merciful. Here's the third application. Point people to salvation in Jesus before convincing them of your view. Point people to salvation in Jesus before you try to convince them of your view. And I cannot overemphasize this enough, church. And this is why the culture loves to quote this verse, because we've not considered this application of our judgment first. People who have not trusted in Jesus and given their life to Jesus, listen, will not be persuaded to trust Jesus and give their life to Jesus simply because we persuaded them of our moral view. You've got to point people to salvation in Jesus before you try to convince them of, of any political view, any moral view. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not value in it. I'm just saying if your genuine motive is to see sanctification in their life, it will never happen unless salvation happens first. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? What have I to do with judging outsiders? 
Let me just say to us, church, our sexual ethics, our political agendas, our cultural ideas are not the crux of Christianity. You don't ever see Jesus. Read the Bible. Do it for yourself. Do your own research. You never see Jesus getting caught up in these secondary, tertiary issues. Why? Because Jesus is the issue. Jesus is the issue for those who don't know him. Fourth, give patience for the activity of God in someone's life. Give patience for the activity of God in someone else's life. I wish I had time to tell you this morning of all the people that my wife and I have struggled with over decisions and choices in our own life, and yet God was still working, and rather than trying to make application of our judgments, we had to trust in the pace, even though it was slow, that God was working. I wish I could tell you this morning. Parents, sisters, brothers, best friends, trusting in the pace of God in someone else's life. Do you understand? People wait years on their sons and their daughters, their parents, their moms and their dads, their friends, their husbands, their neighbors to come to Jesus and to experience change. Sometimes the best application of our judgment is to be patient. Fifth, and I'm almost done. Sometimes you just need to walk away from damaging relationships. Sometimes you just need to walk away from damaging relationships. And let me be clear here this morning. I'm not talking about a covenantal marriage relationship. I'm talking about some relationships that you just need to walk away from. Maybe there's a relationship that's been extremely difficult for you to process, extremely difficult for your heart to remain clean. Maybe there's been a relationship where the, the application of judgment has been made many, many times, and that relationship continues to inflict pain. Maybe, listen to me, it's an abusive relationship that will not yield its abuse. Sometimes it's okay to walk away from destructive relationships. Now, let me close this out and say, on the other side, on the other side, sometimes we need to suffer for someone else's good. Sometimes we need to suffer for someone else's good. I'm not talking about a physically abusive relationship. If you're in a physically abusive relationship, you need to get out of it. What I'm talking about was Jesus was torn himself. Jesus suffered himself. And listen, the record of the gospel and the authority of the Bible said it was through Jesus being torn and through Jesus suffering, listen, that he changed us. And if you're going to change others... You can't really do it yourself. You need to be willing to suffer a little just as Jesus did. Two weeks ago, Jeremy Horton spoke to us, and if he told you the story of how he came to faith in college, parents were not believers. After he came to faith in college, he believed God was calling him to ministry and even to be a pastor. And he tells the story. He says he knew my parents will not approve of me going to seminary or even me considering being a pastor. And so he said, out of respect for my parents... I knew God was calling me to seminary and to be a pastor, but out of respect for my parents who contributed significantly to my financial education, for the next three years after I graduated college, I tried to honor my parents in struggle and pain, knowing this is not what I'm supposed to do, but I tried to honor my parents in working a secular job as a way of struggling through, being patient, hoping their parents would come to faith in Christ. Do you know today in 2019, those two parents are now believers in Jesus? Sometimes we need to suffer for someone else's good. Don't you know that's how God works? That's just how God works. That's how 
how, how judging and judging begins if you understand the gospel. God brings forgiveness. God brings life. John 3, 17, God did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it. And Jesus is the, is the ultimate record. I may suffer. I may get thrown into prison. I may get my head taken off. I may die on a cross. But listen, I need to tell you the truth. And after I tell you the truth, I'm intent. And my promise is I'm going to try to bring you close. You may not be a Christian this morning. You may not have ever trusted your life to Jesus this morning. And I want you to understand very clearly, Jesus did not come to tell you that you are okay. Jesus came to tell you that you're not okay. <laughs> he came to go to a cross because you're not okay. But when he was on the cross, he was declaring what you then deserved if you trusted in him. He was declaring, listen, what he had for you. He was declaring on the cross what he was giving to you. He was declaring on the cross what he was taking for you. He prayed for you on the cross. When he prayed 2,000 years ago, he was praying for you today. When he was praying, he was thinking of you right now. When he was praying, he was thinking of you. Father, forgive him for not paying me any attention. Father, forgive him for thinking I'm irrelevant. Father, forgive him for going their own way. Jesus was praying for you. Father, forgive her for thinking. I'm just trying to box her in and, and contain her joy with all of these rules. Father, forgive her for not realizing how much joy can be hers when she trusts in me. Father, forgive her for thinking. I came to cast her off and to not bring her close. you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just going to close out here this morning, but I want to speak very directly to you in the next minute. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And I want to help you understand this morning that that process begins with what we call repentance and faith. Repentance is listening to the truth. Faith is receiving the grace that God gives to us. Have you ever done that? I want us to be filled with grace and truth in this body of believers. I pray that God will give us the courage to be faithful this morning. I pray that God will give us the brokenness to be truthful this morning. Many of you may even be here for the first time this morning, and I want you to understand. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. It doesn't matter who's around you. Just, just in this reverent moment. Some of you here today are here for the first time and maybe you don't understand that God didn't come the first time to judge you. He didn't come the first time to judge you. He came to forgive you, to save you. The second time that Jesus comes, he comes to judge, but this time we're still living in a moment of grace. He wants to give you the opportunity to trust him in repentance and faith. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't stand you on a stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. This morning, if you never trusted your life to Jesus, I want to call you to that. Gosh, we don't need any more. We don't need more religion and more religious activities. What you need is for God to change your heart and your life. And we want to help you understand that this morning. If you've never trusted your life, down front to my right, your left, 
Marco, who did our announcements, is going to be down front. If you just come up to him after the service, simply say to him, I want to know how to give my life to Jesus. That's all you need to say. He'll walk you through what it means to trust your life to Jesus. For the rest of us, and I'm going to close, the rest of us who do know Jesus, I pray that you would take his words to heart this morning. Verse 43 through 45. For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of what's in our hearts. May we be a people are not known as being judgmental and critical, but we're a people who have the honesty and the authenticity to look in the mirror at our own selves first. And out of repentance and faith, we're able to season those conversations with love and grace and mercy and generosity. Let us be those people. God, we love you today. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be instructed by your word this morning. God, may you take that word and apply it deeply to our hearts this week. God, may ultimately the reflection of the gospel give us gratefulness and gratitude this week for how you came near to us, Lord. You told us the truth, but God, you didn't leave it there. You told us the truth, and then you brought us near to make us friends. May that gospel encourage us this week. In Jesus' name.